You know, whenever I uh, read or listen to the news, my ears always perk up when I see a report about the church. You know, I want to know what journalists are writing. Uh, I want to know what people are reporting about the church. Now, some people tend not to listen to the news and what they say about the church uh, because most of the coverage is bad, but uh, it's my position that I, I think we ought to hear what uh, people are saying, how the public at large views the church so as to effectively win them over. However, what's more important than what the world has to say about the church is what Jesus himself has to say about the church. What does Jesus say about the church? I think it's important that we understand what Jesus is saying, how he views the church, what are the things that he says concerning the church. And that's why we started this series a few weeks ago. You know, while you may have thoughts about the church, while you may have certain experiences of the church, and while you may have heard some things about the church from other people and from the media, I think it's important that we give attention and listen to what Jesus says about the church. And so we started this series, if we can look at the next slide, uh, we started this series trying to look at these four things. We first looked at the builder. Who is the builder of the church? And we found through Matthew 16 that the builder is Jesus. Jesus is the builder. Not only is Jesus the builder, but here in Matthew 16, we find that his identity is made clear. He asks, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and Jesus says, no, who do you say I am? And that's where Peter confesses, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the Savior. You are the Son of God. And it's upon this identity of who Jesus is, as the Savior, as the Son of God, Christ says, on this rock, I will build my church. So who is the builder? He's not some prophet. He is the Christ, the Savior. He is the Son of God. And notice what Jesus says. It's, it's possessive. On this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus intends to build the church and keep it. He doesn't build it and then sell it off. It's not a side project. Jesus, not, he's not in the business of flipping things. He says, I will build it and it will be mine. The church belongs to him. Jesus is the builder. The second week, we looked at the building. What is the building? Well, we know that Jesus is building the church, but we wanted to make clear that the church is not an institution, it's not an organization, it's not a corporation, and we must certainly not view it as a physical building either. I know when we say church, we tend to think of a physical building, a location, but when Jesus says he's building the church, he's saying he's building a new people, a new community. If you recall back to Ephesians 4, we, we've heard, uh, we looked at Ephesians 4 a couple of weeks ago, and we saw the analogies, the metaphors that Jesus is, that, that Paul use, uses to describe the church. He says that we are fellow citizens, fellow citizens in the same country. He says that we are members of the same household. In other words, we are family, and he says that we are living stones that are built together. We are living stones that are being built together into this beautiful building in which God will dwell. You know, a few weeks back, I, uh, while, while looking at Ephesians 4 and thinking about this building, 
uh, I went on an internet deep dive, uh, a YouTube deep dive, and I started to look at videos of how masons uh, use brick or stone and mortar and how they build. Now, uh, I call it research, but I was on this deep dive and I was just looking at how, you know, builders build things. And it seemed mundane. You know, at first, you know, there's this foundation and then uh, I think they have to set up these, um, they have to set up these poles and these, and, and strings so that everything is straight, right? And, you know, and, and, and the builder is doing the same thing. The mason is doing the same thing. He takes a piece of brick, puts some mortar onto it, and puts it in place one after another. He's doing the same motion all over again. And at first I thought, okay, that, that seems simple. That seems pretty boring. Then as I, caught, as I started to, to listen more about you know, how to do it, some of the pitfalls you have to watch out for, and I saw the attention to detail and care, it became very therapeutic for me. I started to just watch it on my free time. And it, and it started to see, it, it start, the, the mason, he, he, he appeared to be more like a, a painter painting on this blank canvas. And while I'm sitting there watching this, watching multiple videos, probably made in the 90s with really bad sound and video quality, I started to think, yeah, that's the church. Jesus, the faithful builder, placing one of us, each and every one of us next to each other. Of course, held together by the Holy Spirit, the bond of the unity of the Spirit that we have. And I realized, yeah, when you build a building with bricks, the bricks don't actually touch each other because bricks can't stick to each other. They naturally don't stick to each other. But they're held together by this paste compound called mortar. And you know, bricks aren't perfect, even though they look perfect. No, they have all sorts of irregularities. But the mortar, it fills and it seals all the irregular gaps. So I started thinking, yeah, that's what the church is like. All these pieces that don't naturally fit together, that can't fit together. We naturally can't be stuck together. We can't be united to one another. But the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus, unites us all. So I started thinking, yeah, that's what the church is like. So the church is, we are the church. We are the building. Last week we heard uh, Pastor Walton preached on Acts chapter 2 in the basement. We journeyed down into the basement of this building and we saw the four pillars that were holding up the church. The four pillars, as you remember, what were the four pillars? If I can ask you. You, can, you guys can say it out loud. Anyone? Anyone? I'm drawing a lot of blank stares. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, we have a lot of newcomers today, so <laughs> you guys weren't here last week, so I'll excuse you. But devotion to the apostles' teaching, right? Devotion to prayer, uh, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. Right? These are the four pillars. And today, for our final week, I want to talk about the business of the church. If we know that Jesus is the builder and that we are the building, we naturally have to ask, what's the business of the church? What is the purpose of the church, or why does the church exist? And Jesus gets at this in verse 19. If we can look at the next slide, he says this. Matthew 16, 19, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound, shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
What is the business of the church? I want to draw on three points here, the next slide. I want to talk about the authority as the, as the business, the authority of the kingdom, the advancement of the kingdom, and the third, the protection of the kingdom. First, the authority. I'm not sure if you feel the gravity of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 16. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on heaven, bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Jesus here is commissioning the church, not just to do kingdom work, but to exercise kingdom authority. See, it's the business of the church to fully represent the king and his kingdom, not just by name, but also in authority. You know, if I were to tell you, if I were to say, you know, it's the business of the church to help people experience the kingdom of God through worship, many of you will not have a problem with that. If I were to say it's the business of the church to preach and share the gospel, people would not have a problem with that. If I were to say, you know, it's the business of the church to shine the light of the gospel and to live out the kingdom ethics through mission and social work, still, many of you would say, you know what, I'm okay with that. But if I were to say the church is in the business of opening and shutting the doors to the kingdom of God, because that's what a key does. A key opens and it locks. If I were to say the church is in the business of exercising kingdom authority, how do you think people will respond? I mean, forget mainstream media. How do you think Christians would respond? I would assume most would say, no, that's too much. That's too much. That's taking it too far. You know, this is what people would say. People would say something like this. They would say, you know, the kingdom of God, that's eternal. The kingdom of God, that's where God reigns. The kingdom of God, that's divine. That is heavenly. To which I would reply, what do you think the church is? Is not the church eternal? It's not the church where God dwells. It's not the church divine. You know, to say that the church participates in the kingdom is not shocking, and many of you would agree to that. But to say that the church exercises kingdom authority, that feels like it's a little too far. But we find here that Jesus, without hesitance, he gives the keys of the kingdom to the church. I think at this point, it's, it might be wise for me to remark upon the, uh, the relationship between the kingdom of God and the church. I'm not saying that the kingdom of God is the church. I'm not equating the two. I'm not saying that the kingdom of God is identical with the church. But what I am saying is there is this inseparable relationship between the kingdom of God and the church. And I think Herman Ritterboss sums it up very well. If we can look at the next slide. This is what Herman Ritterboss, a Dutch theologian, says. He says, the kingdom of God is the great divine work of salvation in its fulfillment and consummation in Christ. The church is the people elected and called by God and shared and called to share in the bliss of the kingdom. In other words, this is how Herman Ritterboss uh, sums it up, how he distinguishes the two, yet 
brings them together. He says, the kingdom of God is the full work of God. It's all that God has done to accomplish His work of salvation and redemption. But the church, the church is actually a result, an important result of that work. The church is the people who have been redeemed and called into that kingdom. For instance, uh, consider your hometown team, your Eagles. Whenever we talk about the Eagles, right, the Eagles is a franchise. The Eagles, you can speak of the stadium, you can speak of the fans, you can speak of the merchandise and the logo, and you can talk of the owner, uh, Jeffrey Laurie, I believe he is, right? Um, you can talk of all of these things, right? That's when, when we talk about the Eagles, we can talk about the entire franchise. But it's so hard to talk about the Eagles without actually talking about the team, the players on the team. You know, likewise, when we talk about the kingdom of God, yes, we are talking about all that God has done from creation to, to redemption and to consummation. But it's hard to talk about the kingdom without actually talking about its people, the church. There is an inseparable relationship between the kingdom and the church. Yes, the kingdom is wider in scope. It is more comprehensive. But the kingdom encompasses the church. And we see that in today's passage, Jesus commissions the church not just to do kingdom work, but to exercise kingdom authority. And so the church is not just offering a helping hand, but it's the work of the church here on earth to exercise kingdom authority and have consequences. And the work has consequences, not just here, but in the world to come. That's what Jesus says. Whatever you bind here as the church will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose here will be loosed in heaven. It matters. The actions and the decisions of the church will reverberate into eternity. They have eternal consequences. And so I have to say this, the church, we are not playing make-believe. God doesn't give the church a fake dollhouse and say, here, here, play with this while I do the real work. No, he says, here is a real house with the real stove and real responsibilities. And he says, oh yeah, the things that you do here will be carried out into eternity. The church exercises kingdom authority. The second point uh, that I want to make is, yes, the church, what is the business of the church? It is to exercise authority, kingdom authority. Second, it is to advance the kingdom. The church's business or the church's mission is to open the doors of the kingdom to those on the outside. You know, when Jesus ascended to heaven, there were only about 120 followers. Now, Jesus, when he ascended, he did not intend that the kingdom remain as such, but he intended that the kingdom continues to go forth and be extended to those on the outside. And so the church, they were called to advance the kingdom. They were called to invite and allow entry into the kingdom. They were called to advance the kingdom forward through their witness and the preaching of the gospel. 
And so what did the church do? Immediately after Jesus ascended and they received the Holy Spirit, the church began to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. They began to advance the kingdom forward. They brought people into the faith and people joined the church. And you know what happened when they came into the faith and joined the church? These people entered into the kingdom. The church, they were opening the doors to the kingdom through the preaching and the witnessing of Christ. It wasn't like, hey, you can join the church, but the kingdom, I don't know about that. You know, it's not like, you know, when you join, you know, you, you join a membership or a club. And every, nowadays, everything is a subscription. You have to subscribe to everything, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, come join this subscription, this membership for a low monthly cost of $9.99. But when you join, you realize that you have none of the benefits that they advertise. To really get the full benefits, you have to pay $29.99. Right. It's not as if the people, the early church said, you know what, join the church, believe in Jesus, be baptized in his name, join the church. But to join the kingdom, to enter the kingdom, that takes something extra. No, by advancing and preaching the gospel, they were advancing the kingdom. They were opening the doors to the kingdom. You know, I think many of us underappreciate what goes on in the life of the church. You know, for those of you who grew up in the church and did all the church things and all the church programs and did all the church services and you came to faith through them, sometimes we underappreciate and undervalue the significance of those things. You entered into the kingdom through that. As the church was commissioned and called, they were opening the doors of the kingdom through the preaching and the faithful witness of Jesus. So when a brother comes to faith, when a wayward sister returns, when we baptize people in the name of Jesus, and when we receive them into the church, there is the advancement of the kingdom. And so the church is called, the, it is the business of the church to continue to bring the good news of the kingdom to all people to people here, to people abroad. The church is not an exclusive club. Notice what Jesus says in here. If we can look at the next slide. This is what Jesus says. He says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you get that? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this picture that we ought to have is the church pushing against the gates of hell, gaining more and more ground as we advance the kingdom through the preaching of the gospel. It's the gates of hell that will not stand up against the church as we keep push, as we keep advancing and pushing forward. The church here is the aggressor. But you know, we, we often misunderstand this. And we think that Jesus is saying this, if we can click, we think that Jesus is saying, on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of hell shall not prevail against the church's gates. This is sometimes how we act and how we think, where we think that, yeah, it's the church that has to stand firm. It's the church that has to stay safe and inside. Now, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
It's this idea that the churches ought to move forward and keep gaining more ground until Christ returns, advancing the kingdom forward. Yeah, the church is in the business of having sinners repent through the preaching of the gospel, of having prodigals return through the ministry of the word and the nurturing of the saints. The church is in the business of going out, evangelizing, doing mission work, and spreading the good news of the kingdom. And so the church is in the business of authority, exercising kingdom authority, advancing the kingdom, and the third point is protecting the kingdom, protection. As mentioned earlier, the concept of a key is to open and it's to shut. And the church has the responsibility also to shut. Right? Jesus says, not only what you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven, but he says, what you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is made really clear in Matthew 18, a few chapters later. Right? You know, Jesus only explicitly mentions the word church twice. Matthew 16, Matthew 18. These are the only two times that Jesus explicitly says church. The first time, Matthew 16, as we, said, as we, as we see here, yeah, it speaks of advancing the kingdom. It speaks of the authority of the kingdom. It, it speaks of really good things, that the church is invincible, Jesus says. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But, you know, chapter 18 deals with the harder realities. It deals with the reality of an unrepentant sinner. It talks about the tough responsibilities that the church has of disciplining. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 18. It's a bit long, but it's, it's, it's hard to talk about Matthew 16 without talking about Matthew 18. He, sa he says this, if your brother sins against you, notice, it, it's your brother, okay? A fellow believer, a uh, fellow Christian, if your brother sins against you, this is what Jesus says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, individually. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, Jesus advises, take one or two along with you. So take more people that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Jesus says, if you go to the brother, he doesn't listen, he's unrepentant, take two or three more as witnesses. And if he still does not listen, tell it to the church. But if this person refuses to even listen to the church, this is what Jesus says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And Jesus says a very similar thing, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You know, the church, the business of the church is not only to advance the kingdom, it's not only to promote the kingdom, it's also to protect the kingdom against sin and unrepentant sinners. The church is in the business of protection, of disciplining. You know, this is the harsh reality. Yeah, if a brother is unrepentant, 
and one person goes, two or three more people go, and if the church addresses the person and calls the person to repent of their sins, but if they refuse, notice what Jesus says, consider him a Gentile and a tax collector. He is no longer a brother. And Jesus says, whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose will be loosed in heaven. You know, I have to plead with you, and I have to ask you very humbly, that if you are a believer, please submit yourself under the authority of the church. Please submit yourself to the elders and the church's leaders. And when the church addresses your sins in love, please do not become hardened. I think this is the, one of the tougher parts. I've, I've had a number of instances where we had to do this as a church, to address a fellow brother because of their sin and the sin that was creeping in. And sometimes people have a hard time with this. They say, who are you? Who are you to judge me? They usually become hardened. Please. When your sin is addressed through the gospel, please do not become hardened and turn away thinking, you know what, I can just go to the church down the street. They will accept me. Now, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That means excommunication, considering the person not to be in the kingdom. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm not saying, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying to be afraid. You know, I'm not trying to say you got to fear the church and fear its leaders. I know quite well how leaders can be abusive. But if the church stands on the word, if it preaches the whole counsel of God, whether you like your pastor or not, whether you respect the church's leaders or not, please submit to them when they call you to repentance. You know, as I was meditating upon this and what Jesus is saying about the church, if I was a disciple during Jesus' time and Jesus was saying this, you know, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you uh, bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed on heaven. If I heard Jesus say this, I I would actually take him aside and say, hey, Jesus, you know, this is way too much responsibility for the church. I'd say, Jesus, do you know what Peter is going to do very shortly? Do you know what the disciples are going to do? They're all going to run away when you get captured. I'd say, Jesus, you know, we can't handle this. We can help, but we can't exercise authority. We can strategize, but we can't advance. We can advise, but we can't armor and defend. That's not something that the church can do. You know, it's like a when, you know, your boss calls you aside or your manager calls you aside and says, you know what, I'm really proud of you. I love the work you're doing, and I'm going to put you in charge of this. But nothing changes, right? Your salary doesn't change. You know, you don't get any more benefits. The manager says, you know what, I'm going to give you this responsibility. And you're like, no, 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 please, that's too much responsibility. I don't want that. And, you know, honestly, 
as I go through this text and continue to think more about it, that's, that's sort of how I feel. If I can just be real honest with you, I think this passage and what Jesus says about the church just, just I feel like it makes my job harder, <laughs> you know? For the deacons and the leaders here, it actually puts a lot more burden and weight on the decisions we make and the way in which we promote and advance the kingdom. Church members, it means that we are not here just playing make-believe. It means that the things that we do actually matter and reverberate into eternity. See, church members, you guys are called not only to submit to the leaders of the church, but to also keep the leaders accountable, to be more actively engaged and involved in the kingdom work that we are called here to do. We as a church, we're called not to turn a blind eye to sin, to protect the church from sin, while also actively evangelizing and promoting, advancing the kingdom. You know, however burdening this may be, you know, the last words of Jesus and Matthew is quite comforting. Jesus says this in the next slide. He says, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we have here, yes, this authority that Jesus speaks of. Now going forth and advancing and making disciples, but also in teaching them to observe and protecting. And Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, by his spirit, is with the church. And so if we can draw, yeah, come to a conclusion and come and you know, finish off this series, I want to just remind us of the things that we have talked about. Yes, Jesus is the builder. Jesus is the builder of the church. For those of you who've grown indifferent to the church, for those of you who've lost hope in the church, please be reminded this morning that Jesus is the builder. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For those of you who've lost hope in the church, yes, every week come out here and confess that you believe in God the Father. Confess that you believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. Confess that you believe that He died and rose again for you. Confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but also confess, I believe in the holy universal church. I believe in the church because Jesus is its builder. We ought not to lose hope in the church. We ought to believe the second thing that we talked about, you're the stone, you're the building, right? You're not a tent, you're not a standalone shed. You are a living stone that's connected and tied together as Jesus is building this glorious temple in which God dwells. You know what this means? It means that you are not meant to stand alone. You are not meant to be alone. You know, no one looks at a single piece of stone or a single piece of brick, no one sees this and say, you know what, man, this stone is beautiful. No one says that. But when they see these stones, these bricks that are laid next to each other, perfectly 
And as they create this stunning building, that's when it's beautiful. That's what Jesus is doing. He's building the church, and you are a part of it. You are a part of it. You are a living stone in this church that he is building. He is giving you a new identity. He is calling you into a new community. I mean, one of the most interesting things I, f- I find about this is, you know, Jesus starts by asking Peter, who am I? And when Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the living Son of God, that's when Jesus says, you are Peter. That's when Jesus gives Peter a new identity. When Jesus asks him, who am I? And when he understands who Jesus is, that's when Jesus says to Peter, this is who you are. He gives us a new identity by calling us into the church by building us up together. Finally, as we talked about today, it's the business of the church, not just to do kingdom work, but to exercise kingdom authority. We are called to do a work that is binding, not just here on earth, but in eternity. I want to just end with this story and this note. Um, You know, one of the many podcasts that I enjoy is one by NPR called How I Built This. I don't know if some of you listen to it, but it's a great podcast. It talks, uh, they, they interview all sorts of people who build businesses from the ground up, and they tell the story of how they built their business. One of the episodes was uh, with a man named John Zimmer, and he is the founder of Lyft. For those of you who don't know what Lyft is, Lyft is something like Uber. It started before Uber, uh, and it's this you know, app, this company where you can call uh, a ride, uh, with your cell phone. Now, John Zimmer, he tells the story that he was working on this car ride in this pickup business uh, back in 2008. He had graduated from Cornell, and at that time, he was working full-time at Lehman Brothers. And Lehman Brothers, in 2008, was the fourth largest investment bank. So he's working at Lehman Brothers, and he was developing the company at night. And he felt that, you know what, I'm onto something. I really want to give myself to this. And so he decides to quit Lehman Brothers. His best friend's mother was working in the same building, and when she found out that he was going to quit, she called him aside and she said, hey, John, how can you leave such a sure thing like Lehman Brothers for something unknown like this ride app? Well, he did. In a couple of months, as many of you know, Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. They collapsed. So John, he, he built up this company. He started working on it. You know, it, it started to really gain a, lot, gain a lot of steam in 2012. And in about 10 years, he built this company up. And now it's worth about $11 billion. Just in the past year, it grew from $5 to $11 billion the company started to increase in profit and went through the roof. It's an incredible company. And it fought all these legal battles with the the city that, that that was being lobbied by taxi companies. It changed the cab industry in New York. It's this phenomenal company, John Zimmer, he built. Do you know how the podcast ends? I thought it was so haunting. The host, he asks, You know, you were this company that disrupted the industry. Now we can't imagine a world without Uber and Lyft. 
But you ever thought about the potential or the chance that sometime down the line, you will no longer be in existence? You will be one of those companies that gets phased out. And Zimmer responds in a very sober voice, yeah, I consider that a possibility all the time. I think about that all the time. You know, no one thought that Lehman Brothers would fall. It was the surest thing. And now these billion dollar, dollar startup companies that we are so familiar with, we think that it will last forever. And it won't. You know, all these CEOs at these companies, they're not fighting for money. They're fighting for relevance. They're fighting to stay relevant. They're fighting off this fear of no longer being needed anymore. Now, this really got me thinking about the church. There were many, many times throughout the history of the world where people thought, you know what, the church is going to be phased out. The church will no longer exist. The church will no longer be needed. And as we hear Jesus' own words, Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of this world, the living Son of God, he says, on this rock I will build my church. And the church is going to be invincible. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. If you have lost hope in the church, hear the words of our Lord and Savior once again. I will build my church. The church belongs to him. He will build it. The church is the surest thing that we have. And may we as a church be faithful in exercising this authority and advancing this kingdom faithfully through the witness of the gospel and protecting the church, preserving it, and keeping it pure until the day he returns. Join me, join me in prayer.